Toronto! I wonder if they can hear it on Long Island. Great move. What a goal. Beauty. Austin Matthews. Bless you, boys. What a game. Welcome to episode 58 of the MLHS podcast. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Anthony Petrielli. And since we last talked to you, the story in Maple Leafs land and arguably around the NHL, depending on how Toronto-centric uh, your consumption is, is the Morgan Riley incident, the Morgan Riley suspension, the Morgan Riley discussion and this happened on saturday so it's been a few days now but a lot of the stuff is a little bit more recent in terms of suspension coming down the appeal coming down i think the easiest way anthony for you and i to discuss it is to sort of rewind and go in chronological order so the first thing i want to throw to you is your impression of the event so that's really kind of both sides of it like what do we think about what ridley greg did and what was your first, the first thing you thought of when you saw Riley's response before it kind of ballooned out into the story it became? I mean, to be blunt, it was good. Like, that was my response. I watched him go over and I said, good, like someone is upset. I mean, that, look, like the, the way that I ultimately view it is, I mean, to be honest, if a Leaf player had done that, but, it, you know, if the Leafs were a 28th place team, another wasted year you're playing the Habs or let's call it the Bruins who've made the playoffs seven years in a row and have continually waxed you. And you finally have like some guy come in on some heated win when Toronto fans take over your building and there's active go leaf go chance. And there's clearly more leaf fans in there than Sens fans. I would say, you know, as a fan, I'd be like, good, like someone, is like had enough of this and they're pushing back. But I'd also say from the Leafs end, they can't just sit there and get shown up like that. Like I, I I find some of the discourse bizarre. I think a lot of people are, you know, they make it, Oh, the, the Leafs shot it too hard. uh, Into the send shot it too hard into the net. And these are, these are people who get mad at, at random people messaging them on Twitter. These are people who, you know, probably get mad at work exchanges they have with colleagues if they don't like the tone of an email. Like this is an opponent in a heated battle that like they're, they're trying to show you up. And so I just, I find it bizarre that Greg would turn around and think that he wouldn't get hit. Right. And uh, you know, the only thing that I'll say is I just wish Riley dropped his gloves. Like that's, he should just drop his gloves. Yet you're vulnerable to a suspension when you skate across the ice and you cross check someone high. Well, you're also vulnerable to suspension if you out, like if you instigate a fight unwillingly, and like I don't know that could go a different way as well. Probably not a five. That happens all the time, though. I'd see if fights instigated all the time in this league where guy there's one guy who's not particularly willing, and there's another guy who who did it. Yeah, I I think this incident makes me feel. A lot like I'm on I'm on two different tracks with this. There's a track of like the world that we live in, and there's a track that the world that like I would like to live in. In the world I'd like to live in, it's stupid shit. Like, you know, like the he should be able to kind of skate over to him and be like, okay, buddy, like we'll see you next time. Like, relax, and then skate away. 
and maybe give him a little shove. And he is reckless with the stick. And we, you know, it kind of went shoulder up, you could argue to some extent, but it was coming in high. It was coming in pretty hot. Like it, it's a nasty play. It's a silly thing. Like it's, it's kind of silly that, uh, you know, the senators blasting the puck at the net creates that kind of reaction. Like it, it does sort of go back to the, you know, when discussions of unwritten rules and codes and things like that, and all of that does strike me as a little bit of a ridiculous song and dance. But in I, the context of the league we live in, like if he had done nothing, that news cycle, especially in the context of what happened with Lilligren and also just the perception of the Leafs as being a soft team or however you want to put that, if Riley had done nothing whatsoever, like that would have been an even more obnoxious news cycle to deal with. I'm pretty confident in that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why it needs to be discussed in terms of like a code or an unwritten rule. I I think that stuff it gets overblown. But I do think you know what you're doing if you show up a team if you show up a team. And that's that's what's happening. Like that that is <laughs> transcendent across all sports. You play you play basketball. If you are losing and at the end of the game someone just all out tried to dunk on you at the very end for no reason and the dying seconds, I'm sure you wouldn't like it. And if you did, I'd I'd say then you're probably not all that competitive. If you if if, if you allow that to happen to you and you go, Oh yeah, cool. Like not only did they lose, but this guy embarrassed me at the very last second. Uh I don't know. Like these are elite athletes. Like they're high end competitors. I would expect them to, to care. And uh, I mean, to be honest, if Riley wasn't on the ice, I don't know if there would have been a response. And I find that disappointing. Like, you know, if, if uh, I don't want to start naming defensemen, but by and large, like probably half of them that they, that they dress on a regular basis. If it was one of them on the ice instead of Morgan Riley, plus the forward group that was on. I don't know. I think it would have been a pretty casual response is, which is what I find disappointing at like at some point uh, you do have to have some pride as a team. I, but I also wish that they showed that pride to start the game. And I mean, through. Yeah, there's that. It's funny you mentioned basketball. It made me think of, and like this is super obscure, but I happen to be New Orleans Pelicans fan, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna run this very quickly because yeah, I know the Zion Williamson dunk. Yeah, the Zion yeah. Williamson dunk against the Phoenix Suns when his team had lost in the previous playoffs to Suns hard fought series, and he wasn't there. And that dunk sent a message like, "Oh, you got me, but like I'm here now, and like this is my team, and like watch out." Whereas like the Greg thing sends the message of like, we're still in the basement. We won the season series. I get like, that's, that's kind of the stupid part of it on that end is like, what are you, what message are you sending from the basement of the league against a team that I'm not saying like the Leafs are going Nothing. somewhere, there, but there's no message. Like, there's no yeah, message. Like, You're just trying to embarrass them. You're just trying to show them up. Yeah. And it's, I think that what ends up spiraling out of this is a lot of talk about, you know, the Leafs place in the league. And like, is this something that people are zooming in on to the same extent if it isn't the Leafs? Are the Leafs getting a particularly harsh suspension? The suspension ends up being five games. Like we thought that maybe when there was an in-person hearing, um, in hearing call that it might've been, you know, six plus. And that's where I think most people agreed that this is something that generally goes two or three. And so when you get five, a lot of the tinfoil hats come out. And then again, I 
I don't know. It's hard. I, I can see both sides of it. Part of it is I think they're trying to establish to some degree a precedent. We'll see where they go with it. But on the other hand, like it, they've clearly been inconsistent. Like this is not consistent with the rulings we've seen in the past. If in a, in a similar light, had this happened in a game between San Jose and LA where any number Let's say Eklund, Zetterlund skates down the ice and does that. And you know Doughty would go over and do the same thing. He would, which he should again. It it would barely be discussed. It may be, may be a game or two, I think. But it happens. It's and and conversely, I don't even know if it would be the same if if a Leaf player did that against the Senators. And then, you know, Thomas Shabbat or Chikrin or whoever skated over and did it to Max Domi, just say throwing out names. Not that I, I don't think Max Domi would do that, but understand the point making. I don't think it's covered the same way. I don't think he gets suspended the same way. And that's that's really the the crux of the issue here. Right? Like that's the problem. It's the inconsistencies in the league of how they call things and it's hard to discuss it without sounding like a homer or like a whiner but there's just there's so much evidence at this point that it's pretty like like the Leafs have the most in-person hearings over the past six years and they've they've had to have been like a top five softest team in the league over that time well, I mean, even if you want to quantify it and do like penalties, right? Like they are one of the least penalized teams in the league and their top player, you know, guys like Morgan Riley are guys who do not have a history of doing things like this. You know, Austin Matthews, when he got his suspension, these are guys who were had like zero penalty minutes and however, like 20 something games in the season or whatever. And I think it's, I don't know, like you said, it's easy to sound like a whiner. It's easy to cast aspersions. But there has to be some level of concern. I think it's sort of this kind of backlash that comes in where the league doesn't want to be seen as being pro Maple Leafs because, like, there's the Maple Leafs already get such a push. They're already so ubiquitous in the broadcast of the game. What push do they get? Well, they just, you know. Why? What push? Not in terms of competitively, but in terms of their co- the way they're covered. Like Canadian sports media, all the major companies are based in Toronto. Like if Twitter is very full of Leafs content, and there's an audience for it. That's why there's so much of it. I'm not like it's it's supply and demand at the end of the day. But I think a lot of NHL fans feel like Leaf stuff gets put in front of them more than they want, and it makes them feel like the Leafs have a different status in the league that isn't reflective of what their on ice product is. And all of that happens in a lot of different sports. Like how many basketball fans are sick of hearing about the LA Lakers? Like regardless yeah, of the LA Lakers doing. actually get calls. They do like, this is the well, only, only league that actively, what, what was, what was that all-star game in Toronto? The second one in 60 years. And, and Batman comes here and, and with a straight face says, Oh, we could never, we could never repay Toronto for what they've done for the league over the past 107 years or whatever. And it's like, you don't, you don't give them anything. You don't even attempt. And I'm not saying the Leafs should be treated favorably, 
but I'm saying like, you're saying like it's swaying so far in an effort to negate that. But like, I'm saying like, that's just an actual disadvantage at this point in time. Like it's an unfair sure. there's, playing ground. They're swaying to negate the perception, not to negate a reality. You're right. Like yeah. in reality, there's no advantage that the Leafs have gained. And you can make plenty of cases that the status of the Leafs is this super followed like microscope on team has not helped them in a competitive sense like you'll never be able to perfectly quantify that but like it's not something that people generally see as beneficial so but at the same time i think that there there is there's hockey fans outside of toronto who feel sick of toronto and don't like to see good outcomes for the Leafs. i think that's pretty clear uh, yeah i mean that's all that's the surveys will tell you that that's a them problem and that's not a league problem to sort out by treating it unfairly. I mean, the Perron cross-check gets talked about a ton. Perron cross-checked not only the wrong guy, but completely did it from behind and actually injured him to the point where he missed games. And it's one extra game? I mean, that is nonsensical. Greg played last night. He scored. Right? He knew it was coming. Riley skated over and stared at him for like a solid two seconds before he did it. Like, you knew it was coming. If you watch the clip, you can see the linesman starts racing in because the linesman immediately knew, like, well, something's going to go down. You don't just get to do that for free. I mean, there's no comparison to be made. Brennan Gallagher came off the bench and threw the exact kind of hit that is, like, like the league should not have. Like, that, that is the type of hit that the league should be trying to get out of the game. Brennan Gallagher blindsides him east to west. He leaves his feet. He clips him in the head. He sticks his elbow out. The guy has no clue he's there. He's hurt. The exact same amount of games as Riley. Unprovoked play. Entirely ridiculous. Jake McCabe gets a late high hit. Stitches to the face. Blindside. $5,000 fine. Like, is his nose broken right now? It doesn't look good. It looks like it. Like, he has black eyes. $5,000 fine. I mean, and so ultimately, I just take this to the step, and we had delayed recording this podcast because originally Brad Trilliving was supposed to speak today, and then Leafs decided to appeal and presumably then canceled whatever Trilliving was going to do. My guess is because he didn't want to further provoke things provide you know given that they're about to have an appeal situation to which i would i would say like there is a tactful way to approach it where you kind of make your point but you don't do anything that's that's just you know unstrategic we'll call it and what's the downside at this point i mean they're clearly they're clearly treated in this way that just doesn't make sense and I think it's just gone on for far too long. I think Brendan Shanahan has stayed far too quiet throughout the entire process. I think he has a massive voice as someone who worked in the league and someone who used to do that job that could come forward. And and he's he's a good speaker. Like he has a calm demeanor to him and he's articulate. I think he could very easily articulate, I did this job and I'm struggling to see the consistencies or the lack thereof and why we're always on the wrong side of it. And point out like six examples pretty calmly. 
Like you have to stand up for your team. Like that is his job. Like that is who pays his salary. It is not the NHL. It is the Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment Company. Like at some point you have to stand up for your guys. I get all of that. I think it's the same problem that we just talked about with this podcast. Like it is very difficult to make that point without seeming like you're crying over spilt milk without seeming like uh, you have a victim mentality without seeming like a loser, especially in the context of, you know, the Leafs being a bit of a competitive disappointment in recent years. And I'm, none of that should matter. But from a PR perspective, I think it's a very difficult thing to do effectively to come out and say this. Well, I think, to be honest, like if Trilliving had come out and he'd been all piss and vinegar, like I think you could have, he could have been, you know, galvanizing and kind of inspiring to the leaf faithful. I think to, at this and point, that's really, fine. Like, that's... that would have been effective. Like that would have been useful to do that. Cause I think your audience at this point is least fans. Cause it's just so hard to win over the others. Yeah. And that's fine. You might not inspire change within the NHL, but I think, I think inspiring the fan base and the team and trying to create um, a Leafs versus everybody type atmosphere in Toronto where it's a little bit angry and it's a little bit pissed off and you know everyone's coming to the table all the time now going this is ridiculous like we're not treated well like we gotta not only beat the other team we gotta beat the two officials we have to beat the head office you know I thought I thought Pat Quinn was a master of that in his time here of constantly kind of drumming up those motivational moments and the team by and large responded you know, I know they never got to the ultimate goal, but there was that six year run where only the Red Wings won more playoff series than the Leafs. Like, I mean, the Leafs were as close as you could get without getting there. And so, you know, I think you have those opportunities. And to your point where it's like, OK, well, the Leafs haven't won in a long time. So at this point, it feels like whining The you know, the core constantly loses in the first round or two. I mean, you can you can take this back to Nazem Kadri getting suspended. And at that point, they didn't have this laundry list as long as your arm of of playoff fizzle outs right away. That was that was what year two, year three. So, you know, that that suspension versus so many other things that happen in the league. I mean, he got suspended for the series. It wasn't even it was like <laughs> he's not playing the rest of the series. You basically do not see I, when has that happened since? And so I don't know. I, I just to me, it's just irresponsible at this point. I think Shanahan's just kind of lied down and taken it this whole way. I think he has a way more powerful voice. I think the Toronto Maple Leafs as a franchise are way more powerful than this. I think top flight teams in other leagues actually flex their muscle. You know, like, do you think Jerry Jones would sit there and just constantly get dunked on by the NFL? Absolutely not. There's just no planet he would sit and just kind of watch it where everyone's sitting there going, what about this video? And what about that video? And what about that suspension? What about that fine? What about this? And Jerry Jones, go, oh, well, I can't say anything. Don't want to question Roger. <laughs> It just, it would not happen. Teams do not do that in other sports. The Lakers I mean, would not sit there and do that. 
I think you make a good point about Shanahan's credibility too, in that he's been involved in that role. Like it's, it's harder to come at that from a place of like, I don't really know what you guys do, but I think it's shit. He does. You're like, I know exactly what you guys do. I did it. I did it better than you. He did do it better. Yeah. And here's how we could do it. Yeah. I think even on a more micro level, like Keith made a couple comments about it and they were sort of like passive aggressive too. And I'm like, Again, like everyone has their own style and Keith isn't a firebrand. Yeah, we know that. But it's like, like little it, sarcastic quips and Yeah, it's like I just don't see that going very far with the players. Now, <laughs> even I think the players still think that it's bullshit. Like to no matter what degree they're saying that out loud. For and sure I they think do. that and that can still have sort of a galvanizing effect where again they feel like the world's against them and maybe they're not messaging that to the outside world in a way that might be effective, but within the room and within that group of players. And, you know, we'll talk about that blues game, you know, that blues game might be an indication that these guys feel some kind of way about Riley's absence and the reason for that. And there's a lot more that goes into that game too. It's a fascinating one with uh, the absences of Marner and Tavares as well, and just how well the team played, but kind of the X's and O's of, Riley's absence, I thought is interesting. I think it was Elliot Friedman who kind of said that maybe Matt, he was the most indispensable player on the Leafs, even if Matthews is number one. And I understood that premise because they rely on him, but I did not buy that argument. And I think this game was a, you know, and it's it's a Bobby there, McMahon hat trick game. Are there game, four but, players in the NHL better than Austin Matthews? Yeah, it's not it's not a fair comparison. I think I people mean, are very quick to overrate an ice time number. They see this guy plays a lot of minutes, and therefore they think this guy's utterly indispensable. And again, Riley's have a good season. I'm not trying to rag on him. But uh, I think in that Blues game, you saw that, you know, this defense core had pretty even minutes spread. Like, you know, Brody had a pretty high number, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, yeah, they kind of, I would say they lent on their depth. It's not like their depth is amazing, but they showed that the group was capable of surviving, which in a sense shouldn't be a surprise because we've seen them reach into the depth on their defense all year long and get not excellence, but competence from, you know, the Benoit's and the Lagasins of the world and, you know, even Connor Timmons who's come in. I thought that there's a lot of doom and gloom about, oh, five games Riley is gone. Like this is going to be, absolutely brutal for the Leafs and I didn't really feel that at the time and I felt like the first proof of concept showed that you know obviously this is not a good situation for Toronto but he is not a player that they can't like they can't function without yeah I mean to your point the defense is simply not good enough to actively sit it's interesting because you would sit there and think to yourself the defense is not good enough they surely can't lose their top defenseman because that would just make things worse. And to a degree, like to a degree, that's true. I mean, they would they would miss him particularly in the playoffs from an offensive standpoint because they just don't have guys that can essentially create. And, you know, I thought the power play was was interesting. And to be fair, they were missing two other guys on their top unit. But I do think the power play is just it's obviously better with Riley than without it. And that's just a really big part of Special teams is huge of winning any playoff series. At least special teams were excellent against Tampa and many of the playoff series that they've lost, which in part is because, you know, Riley's played a role in that is the power play just being ineffective. That all said, 
when your defense isn't that good and then you're essentially just plugging the holes with capable guys who aren't anything fancy but can just generally take a shift in the league, which is what a guy like William Lagason is, you know, he can take a shift. It's not the worst thing ever. He can take shifts. Like he can give you 15 respectable minutes. You yeah, can kind of placement level bottom six guy. Yeah. Like, not yeah. bottom pair guy. I, I think I think the bigger thing though is really it's not the defense. It's the level of detail and forward and checking from the forwards. Like that's really what it comes down to. They, they weren't that wasn't a six defenseman masterpiece shutting down the blues. It was the forwards actually checking properly and having a proper high guy and back checking properly and tracking back to assignments and covering shooting angles. And it, this team is invested at forward. That is the strength of their team. They have to drive the bus. And even missing guys last night, those forwards drove the bus. Like they they were excellent. They were detailed. They were tight. It was really difficult to get through the neutral zone against them. They closed the gaps on the points quickly. They properly covered the slot. Like it's always them. They just, there is... <laughs> there is so much to kind of unpack with the forwards and how um, they decide to perform. And I do say decide, not how they just, how it comes to be. It's, it's a decision in many scenarios. And that's, that's really the big part to me. I wasn't sitting there going, wow, look at this defense stepping up. I was sitting there going, wow, look at the forwards actually playing proper hockey for the first time in a while. Yeah, I mean, if anything, the thing that kind of stood out to me was from the Riley's absence in particular. Like, yes, there was the power play absence. And, you know, Jake McCabe isn't necessarily that guy. There was also some moments where, like, TJ Brody jumped in offensively in ways that we just don't see. And it's like, oh, yeah, I get why this doesn't happen. Like, it's like he was way better on the left side, like significantly. He was better for sure. But there was still, there were a couple of kind of quasi awkward offensive moments with him. And it's like, yeah, okay. This is not really for him. Even the Bobby McMahon goal, the Bobby McMahon second goal, that was off a of Brody shot. And I, I probably watched it close to 10 times right now, by now. And I just kept thinking to myself, would he have shot this on the right side? And I don't think he would. Like He's barely been shooting this year. And he's had tons of lanes. I I think it's a little bit awkward for him, like turning his hips and... He's essentially facing the boards, but shooting forward, right? Because he turns his body so much. And that one was just, it was a lefty. He had a lane and he just snapped one through. And then McMahon pounced on the rebound and scored. And I just, watching Brody do kind of little things like that. All, like there was one where he kind of joined the rush and he flipped it on his backhand to the wall. And then he drove the center lane and Nylander curled on the play and that's fine. But just kind of watching him drive through, he just, he looked entirely more comfortable with the things that he could do with the puck on the left side. And I thought that was really encouraging. I mean, obviously we've been hard on him this year and I think it's been rightfully so. I think he's really struggled and underperformed, but I do think that there's a, a player there that can help the team on the left side of the ice. Yeah, I mean, I mean in, in a perfect scenario, they find someone to play with Riley on the right, and then Brody is the third defenseman on the left who gets indexed up in defensive situations or penalty kill or however you want to play that. And, I mean, the whole thing, it kind of comes back to 
we've talked about it so much the way they, you know, they over lean on the top players. And that's been a, a storyline for literally years with this group. And there's sort of that notion that, oh, those guys will be the ones to get stuff done. And when you know that you can't count on that, like it can't not affect how you play. Like, you know, you know, I'm not out here to stalemate 10 minutes. Like someone's got to get this done. And I especially got played up by the fact they played Nylander with Matthews, which I wouldn't have expected, right? Like I would have thought you'd spread those guys out. Seems pretty, uh, pretty simple to me as those guys being the two guys who've driven the lines consistently this year. But by not doing that, you really had, yeah, you had three lines that were expected to do something in a way they hadn't really had that expectations. You know, Domi gets the time on ice, you know, higher than he's had all season. And all these criticisms that we've had out Sheldon Keefe about, you know, lack of experimentation and overloading the top guys and not spreading guys out. It's like, by accident, he had to sort of be the coach that you sort of had wanted him to be, not because he had a great epiphany, but because he didn't have certain players available to him and he had to show faith, he had to show trust, he had to let guys cook a little bit. And I think, you know, hopefully he sees those results. I mean, I'm sure he does. And maybe it does a little bit to change his opinion about some of the guys he's got on board because those guys put in a great night of work. Like you said, specifically that forward group put in a very strong night of work. And you're like, yeah, you're not c- counting on Bobby McMahon to be the guy for you night in, night out. But, you know, he can do something from time to time. I don't know if I've talked enough about McMahon to claim any credit on this, but I'd like to say that I've always thought of myself as a Bobby McMahon guy. Great to what, see him. What convenient it. timing. I mean, we've recorded yeah. how many episodes and suddenly. I feel like I've mentioned like a couple times that yeah. I'm like. I'm, I'm I feel like man. I've mentioned. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I feel, we, could, we could, If I was less lazy, I could, I'm sure I could find some clips, but they're more throwaway <laughs> comments, I think. But still, I am a pro man, guys. Good to see that happen. I, I can confi- yeah. I can confidently say a few weeks ago, I, I, I suggested that they should healthy scratch Noah Gregor. And I've said a few times now that I have Bobby McMahon ahead of Noah Gregor for me. I think he just does more with the puck. I think he brings it up the ice better. I, I think Gregor's just gone too long without doing anything. I, he, he's like, the he, sort of guy who's like would probably not his actually his on ice numbers are really bad, to be honest. Yeah. But like he could give you like inflated on ice numbers because he can just skate in and take a harmless shot. Yeah. Like, I, he, I, he can put pucks on net in a way that doesn't actually help you win. I think he's a lot of uh, a lot of sizzle because of the skating, um, but not enough substance. And I, to me, I have McMahon ahead of him in the lineup. If like you were saying, like who's the top twelve? I would have I would have McMahon there over him. He's bigger, he's stronger. I think he's better with the puck. Uh, you know, I would like. I do think that they can get more out of Gregor. That's also why I suggested help. I mean, obviously they can't right now, just given the flux of the roster um but i also to me like he's the kind of guy that you healthy scratch and you get his attention and he comes out guns a blazing the next game you know it's like when they healthy scratch david camp i was like what's he gonna do come out and block a shot like win an extra face off like he he's not gonna come out and and give you something extra he just he's gonna be david camp like he's gonna take shifts and and hopefully it's responsible right but gregor to me like he does have the capability of coming out and having you know, throwing a couple big hits, scoring a goal, doing something of of needle moving, I guess we'll call it in an offensive or physical fashion. 
So, you know, ultimately, though, to your point about like the thing that I've I've consistently argued in this podcast, and so regular listeners will know and regular readers will know, is I've just continually said, I think that their team is better than they've shown. I don't think that they've been optimized based on what they have. I think it should be a three-line attack. I think it was fair for people to go into the season and say, like, this should be a really good offense that comes at you in waves and attacks you. And I don't think that they've been put in a situation to do that. I think it's been loaded up with the top guys. I think it's often made about them. And it's like, oh, if we get scraps out of, you know, Max Domi or whoever, Nick Robertson, then it's great. It's like when you go back and and Nick Robertson scores a few weeks ago and after the game, Keith's like, I loved everything about his game. And then you look at his ice time and it was like under 10 minutes and you go, well, and did you love it? Like that, if that's what's loving his game looks like, then what's the incentive? If you're not even, you don't even reward guys for playing well with, and the, and the reward is ice time. Like to be clear, like that's players what guys want care ice time. About. That's what they care about. And you don't even reward them. And it's only two games. So I don't, like, let's not blow it out of proportion. But at the same time, Max Domi's two best games have clearly been against Pittsburgh when Matthews was out and Tavares when Tavares was out just now against St. Louis. Like, those were clearly his two best games as a Leaf. I do not think that was a coincidence. It's like clearly when he's invested and like made to feel like he's important, there's an extra hop to his step and he's way more invested in the game. And he's been good. Like, he's been dangerous. Like, that line should have had, like, Bertuzzi should have had, had a hat trick in that game. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, this, the Bertuzzi thing's absolutely getting out yeah, of hand. Like, it, it's... Th- that's it's, one of those, like, the night is darkest before before <laughs> dawn moment. Like, that's what I was thinking. After he missed the third one, when he hit the post, I was like, all right, like, it's going to be crazy. He's going to score, like, a couple games from now or something. It's going to be the stupidest goal ever. And hopefully it just gets him rolling because... He's doing so many right things. It's just he's just not scoring. But at some point, it's unacceptable that he keeps missing. I mean, if you think about the Domi Robertson and like that line seems pretty locked in, whether it's Yarn Croak, I mean, hopefully not Gregor for over a lengthy period of time, whoever else is on that. Like, it seems like that's a partnership they like and it's the third scoring line. But, you know, they get fourth line minutes like on a night to night basis. The attack should be, you know, like Matt, the Matthews line is on its own level. But then, you know, the Nylander line is right there. And then whichever one of those lines is not performing should be ceding some time to the Domi line. Like the Domi line should be picking up the slack for whoever else is not doing well. And instead, it's like no matter what happens, Matthews and Marner are getting whatever, low 20s. No matter what happens, Tavares and Nylander are getting 19 or whatever it is. And so, like, they never have those game plans that involve oh, like you want to reward the players. Like you said, you want to give them more house time, make them feel like they're important, make them feel like their contributions and the fact they're playing well matters and is being noticed by the coach. If you're not carving ice time out of anybody else, like there's, you know, there's only 60 minutes in a game and, you know, you're going to get some fourth line minutes in there as well. And it just, the ceiling for what this third line, and, you know, it's not like Max Domi and Nick Robertson are absolute world beaters. But there's some real offensive pop there. And the ceiling for what they're able to do under the current philosophy is just so low compared to their talent level and what they could potentially do from a production standpoint. Yeah. I mean, again, we've said it a million times. Max Max Domi led a Western Conference Finals team last year in the playoffs in five-on-five scoring. I mean, he like 
he has some credibility in the league. Like he, he's, he's produced, he's, he's done a few things. And, you know, I, I think he, he himself will, will sit there at times going, I can't believe I'm playing like nine, 10 minutes tonight. Like I'm not touching the power play. I'm not even like, I got like, it's easy for guys to, you give guys an excuse to check out. I think that's often what we see. And, you know, you mentioned it, it, it's not because Keith was innovative here. It was because his hand was forced. I, the example that I always think of with this is the first year that Pittsburgh went to the cup, the year that the trade for Marion Hosa. Sidney Crosby got hurt that year. He only played 53 games that season in the regular season. And I thought that was such a pivotal thing to happen to their team because it forced them. It, it actively forced them to play other players to the point where maybe they sat there and went, Hey, some of these other guys are actually good. Like they can actually do it. Like we don't, it doesn't need to be about Sid. Sid is a superstar. He's obviously going to be a big part, but other guys can do it. It was almost even again, watching TJ Brody. Like he wasn't def one of my big problems with Brody is he defers a lot to Riley to move the puck up ice. Like he'll often take a pass and then, and look to Riley and he won't lead a breakout. He won't actively join the play. Like he he's, he's like sitting back and deferring to Morgan. And he also just won't shoot because I assume that he's deferring to the top guys all around him. And when he didn't have those options, he started doing more, right? He started, he was actively joining the rush. He looked for his shots a little bit more. Um, like he, you know, he took some, some opportunities in that game and like, I don't know why he wasn't credited with the shot on that, on that goal by McMahon, but whatever. Um, he just, he was a little bit more assertive in what he was doing. Like I would look to him and say, like, you can do this more. Like it's, it's fine. Like these are like, we want you to do this. Like stop deferring to these guys. I hope a few of the other guys looked around and said like, yeah, we can, we can make things happen on this team. Right. Like, Bobby McMahon got a little extra ice time, obviously, and he had the hat trick, but he was, where's that net drive been all year? Like he put his shoulder down. Like he's a, he's a big boy. Like he's a big, strong guy. He's capable of doing that. Like he should, that should happen at least once a week where he drops his shoulder, goes to the net, says someone gets in my way. I'm going to light them up. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't sign, mind seeing McMahon on one of the top two lines as an experiment sometime just to give someone else an opportunity to drop lower and spread things out. Like, you know, obviously Bertuzzi, Tavares, and Nylanders worked broadly, but like putting Bertuzzi with Domi has seemed to be effective at times. Like, I don't know how long you would try something like that, but yeah, I mean, I would give that a go. I, I like to see, you know, Nyes, the way Nyes uses his big body has been kind of inconsistent. Like, you get those moments where it's like, okay, yeah. he's figured it out, and you get those moments where it's like he's he's not doing what he should be doing based on the skills that and his, you know, his frame and what's available to him. But, like, I feel like McMahon would. Like, if you put McMahon on, like, a big line just for a little bit to see how it went – I feel like there would be none of that. Like, what should I be doing? I think he would know what to do. Like, I'm sure there'd be like some Pontus Holmberg moments where the puck, you know, goes over a stick or the shot's not good. Or like, there would be some of those like, okay, he's not really on this skill level. But in terms of role confusion and sort of fitting in, I think there wouldn't be any issues. I think he could easily play with Max Domi. They're both good skaters. McMahon's a big guy. Domi's good at moving the puck. I think McMahon has a good shot. You know, he 
it's proven he could score at the AHL. Like he, he had like a goal a game run for 20 games or something last year. I, like, I think he could capably do it right this second. Um, the other thing too, I, I kind of wanted to flag. Cause I do think we're starting to, I do think we're starting to see this. And I think it's important to discuss is, and, and we kind of have a little bit, uh, I think I think Robertson's been really good now for a few weeks, and I think that's really important. Like he's he's starting to figure it out. You can see the games slowing down for him a little bit. He like there was one play where he he came back on the back check and he took the puck, and then St. Louis went for a change, and he kind of turned his head and saw it, so he wound up and then just ripped through the neutral zone, like kind of things where he's looking, going, okay, like I you know, like I know how the league. I'm starting to figure out how the league works, and I know when I have space, and I know when guys are changing, and when I can load up and when I can, you know, go for a chance. And early on, we saw him also get crushed a lot. Like he was getting, he got manhandled quite a few times physically. And that was how his season ended last year. But knock on wood, it's it's been a, it's been months on end since we've really seen someone like physically abuse him. Not to say he hasn't been, you know, knocked on his ass or anything to that extent. But like that, you know, even in preseason, he got, he got lit up on the wall against the Habs on a breakout. And that has not really happened. That's been a big thing with, for me with him is like, can he stay healthy? And he's starting to sort of figure it out in terms of like how to pick and choose a spot. It's something I've written about consistently now for a year and a half. Like you have to learn when you are that height and you are that weight, you need to, it's admirable that you want to like go after the puck and be in battles, but it's not realistic. Like that's just the truth. You're playing a very slightly different game than everyone else. Yes. Like that's the reality. Like certain things are available to you and certain things are not available to you in a way that is not the same as it is for Austin Matthews. Like Austin Matthews can skate into virtually any situation and then figure it out. Guys will bounce off of him. Like no one's bouncing off Nick Robertson. (laughs) No. And he also has like a stick lift move that he's developing. Like there was a really nice one against the blues, but he's kind of, he's kind of figured out how to get his hands low and really dig in. And and it's a bit of like a vicious stick lift up and, and he's figured out how to get pucks back. Like these are, we've talked about this a little bit now where, so his game is going up to me. It's starting to trend up. And Matthew Nye's game, I think is clearly trending up, you know, like he had a really bad stretch and we were hard on him. And I think that was fair, but it's also it's important to note too. I think he's really starting to flash and and show signs, and you know figure out you know he was in front of the net on Nylander's goal. I know it was a deflection, and Kessel was just terrible for the Blues last night, like just god awful. But you know he was in the right spot. I look at the Marner goal where we talked about he ran the pick on Heiskanen and it allowed Marner to walk right in and score. Like he's he's starting to figure out the right spots. He's starting to make a few more plays, and I think Holmberg has started to become this this effective chess piece type player. And they've really put him behind the eight ball. I mean, they looked at him in that game and said, go center Alex Steves and Ryan Reeves. That's a hell of an assignment. Like they're not giving him much right now. Like it's that's, that's tough sledding, but he's making the best out of it when he's on the ice. I don't like, I know that that line got scored on. It had nothing really to do with Holmberg, but by and large, when he's on the ice, like I don't think bad things are happening. I think he's doing a good job when the pucks in his vicinity of, getting it back, making the correct plays, things of this nature. So you're going to have rookies and they're going to struggle. Like that's just the the reality of rookies. They're roller coasters. It's never a simple path forward with them, but I'm okay going into the playoffs and giving those kinds of guys lifetime and, and letting them develop it. 
it probably won't result in a Stanley Cup run. But it's setting the table for years to come. Yeah, I think the reality is that, you know, the Maple Leafs have a chance of winning the Stanley Cup this year. But it's a small chance, you know, it's in the whatever, the 5% realm, something like that, whatever you want to throw at it. And they do have to be cognizant of developing their players. And, you know, Robertson is a great example because he's a bit of a weird one where he's been around for a while, but he's still young, but he hasn't played a lot of games and it's difficult to gauge. And to be fair, I like at the time when he was really coming in and out of the lineup, I thought that he was one of their best 12 and he just brought a spark. A lot of guys didn't bring and it seemed silly, but it's hard to criticize based on the results because the quality of the play has improved and it's possible that Keith sitting him out those games affected his mindset affected the way he worked i don't like some of those things you'll never know for sure you don't know if he would have done it anyway but the reality is that he's brought his level of game up nice is an interesting one because sometimes i feel like playing on that top line doesn't serve his development as well as playing on a different line would have but it, it's just he's a yeah he's a difficult one to know where to slot but i do think he's improved in, in the way that he's um complimenting those guys and figuring it out but yeah, I mean, you probably don't want to stick to Max Domi and too many draws in your own end against the other team's first line in the playoffs. Like there'll be a couple of situations where you do bring Matthews back, uh, you know, maybe after just one shift off. Like there will be moments where Keith does Keith things. I mean, I'm sure there'll be plenty of them, to be honest. But at the same he time, like Keith things, <laughs> they are, you know, they are building they are building something for the future here as well. Like the outside of Tavares, like the guys are not old and Robertson could be an important part of the future. Nice could be an important part of the future. You know, you've got Cowan coming up Minton, who it seems like they're not going to probably not going to move those guys. Those are guys who could be forwards of some import for you in the relatively near future in this sort of core four era. That has not really been the case. Like it's been, here's the core four and here's a bunch of assorted veterans of various prices and quality. We're going to throw around them. It's been a while since the Leafs were consistently developing anyone. And that's how they're going to get, you know, while these guys cost a lot of money, which they'll continue to do, we'll see what happens with Tavares longer term. But like you, you need some cost effective players to put around them that are not just Noah Gregors that you find on the scrap heap and hope they overperform or Bobby McMahon's guys who come out of nowhere. Like it's a cool story. But at the end of the day, like if you really want to be a good team, a deep team around these stars, these pricey stars that you have, the way to do that is going to be to develop some guys. And they're starting that, but there's still, you know, there's a long way to go for them to have, you know, real homegrown second wave for lack of a better term. Not to say it's like a second wave to the extent that they would also be stars, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, it's, that is to the point where if they get or where once they get healthy, you could sit there and say, based on just who they have right now, the 12th, 13th forwards are Bobby McMahon and Noah Gregor. And that's not a bad spot to be, depending on how you rate guys like Holmberg and, and you know, all the guys we just kind of mentioned. Um, but again, the point I'm trying to make is I'm okay with, with giving these guys the minutes and just letting them develop. And to your point, like you're going to need guys on cost effective, effective contracts. Like Holmberg's at 800,000 for another year. 
Matthew Nyes is on his rookie contract. Robertson is an RFA, but he has no chance of demanding anything legitimate. No, he'll have a nice cheap contract. Right. So it's, it's setting the table. It might not necessarily be what people want to hear for this year. At, at the same time, I think it, it sets you up to basically just focus on adding a defenseman of quality. Like if they, if they just do that, right? Like that's the significant thing of, of sitting here ultimately roundabout when we're talking about, okay, well, what are we learning when we're seeing other guys play is I think they have better players than they've really given it credit for. I even look at that third line and it's really felt to me like Keith has felt like it's required to play Kali Yarncroft there to like cover for them defensively. And I just don't think that's true. Like, I think you could easily mix up looks where you could reunite Yarncroft at times with Matthews and Marner, where he was really good there last year. And you could put Nyes down with Domi and Robertson, which I wouldn't trust them at all defensively, <laughs> but I think that they could be, they could score some big goals for you. And I think well, they could also, dial in. If you have Yarncroak, you don't trust them anyway. So it's like you put this guy on the line and you don't really, it doesn't really affect how you utilize that line and how you feel about that line. it's like, oh, with yeah. Yarncroak, we, t- we trust this line defensively 18%. With Nyes, we trust it 4%. What's the difference? Like you're going to use it's it negligible. the same way. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like at that point, you might as well just put like Holmberg and, and Yarncroft and McMahon as, as the third line or something to that yeah. effect and just be like, all right, well, now we actually trust them. The other thing too, I thought, which which doesn't, it's not going to get much attention, even though his line scored three goals, is I think he gets, I think he gets ripped on a lot. But like David Camp to me is a legitimate NHL center. I've always felt like that. I know everyone's been really hard on him this year. And to some degree, he has earned that. Like, I didn't give him a good grade because I think the penalty kill struggle, he hasn't been great in the faceoff circle. But the one thing I'll always point back to is they have not set him up for success. They've just sat there and been like, why don't you go center Ryan Reeves? Like, why don't you go play with Max Domi? Like, lines that do not make sense. And the best line combos that we've basically seen him have so far this year is McMahon and Gregor. They obviously had a good night in this one. They were really good when they first got reunited, in particular that game against Vancouver in Toronto. Like, he does calm the waters down. Like, he is a viable NHL center that can give you solid checking minutes. Like, he was, it was a welcome sight to have him back, I thought. Yeah, I, I, it's tough because he's the type of guy where, if he's doing his role well, no one is talking about him. And if he's doing his role slightly off, it can look like a disaster because he's put in so many difficult defensive situations. And as you said, he just he's been playing with players who do not make sense with him. Like the moment they signed, you know, because they re-signed Camp and then they signed Reeves. And like the moment they did that, it was already clear that they'd fucked up. Because like both those players have to be on the fourth line and both those yeah, players make don't sense. make any sense together. So it was like yeah. the moment that happened was when you start to be skeptical about the Maple Leafs offseason, which I'm sure depending on the outcome of this season, there'll be a lot of discussion about Trilliving's first offseason, how it didn't work out. We can deal with that at a different time. But like you're right in that camp hasn't had a chance to be camp. Uh, and not that being camp is something spectacular, but there is a reason this is a player they committed to over the long term because they liked the way he just stalemated other teams for relatively extended period of times and killed penalties. And that's like, there's real value there. I, I know, I know people aren't going to want to hear it because everyone it's really about winning in the playoffs. 
And to, like, you know, if they get obviously if they have a poor showing in the playoffs, that's a that's a failed season. But if they have a strong showing in the playoffs to some degree, and you've properly incorporated three younger, newer players to the league that we just talked about, and potentially, you know, hopefully add some sort of defenseman of substance that'll be here for years to come on top of acquiring Simon Benoit and integrating him into the lineup as, you know, potentially a full-time piece. I know know, people are going to are focused on winning and losing and, and that does matter. I'm not trying to downplay that, but I think there's a lot of success in that season in that kind of season. Then people are probably going to recognize they're going to sit there and say, well, you know, Matthews and Marner and Nylander, like these guys are all prime age. Like you have to win with them now kind of thing. And I, I take those points. I get it. There's also a ton of teams you can point to where they weren't winning. You know, Tampa wasn't winning when Stamkos was 26. Right. So you do have to build some sort of secondary support group, which we've talked about for years, right. Which Tampa eventually did. And so if the Leafs are able to put those a bit more of those building blocks in place where you're, you know, hopefully looking and setting things up for success, I think that's often why we talk about acquiring a defenseman with term or acquiring really good players in general, just a general needle mover with term. Like that to me is like really the next step here. It's got to be, you have to add somebody who's going to be here and do this thing over the next couple of years, not just this year. I think if they buy just for this year, that's really short-sighted. But if they add another piece and they develop these current pieces and, you know, make them part of the group and this core that you're, you know, you're adding to as it changes over, especially as Tavares ages out, I I don't think that's as bad of a season as is probably going to be painted out to be. Yeah, for sure. And I the, the difficult needle to thread will be like, how do you get that player to, with term without undermining your ability to develop that second core or support group, whatever you want to call it? And that's going to be a really fascinating thing to watch in the weeks to come. I think we will leave it there with you guys. Uh, we appreciate everyone tuning in. We will be back next week. And as always, any ratings, reviews you want to give are appreciated. Tell your friends, families, enemies, anyone about the podcast. And uh, yeah, we'll be back. Not Sense fans, week. though. It's a, we don't no Sense fans. Probably uh, not going to be advisable for that. So <laughs> we will be with you at some point next week. As always, we figure out our schedule a little bit on the fly. So I cannot promise a specific day, but keep your ears out and we will be there. Down by three Look inside yourself, what do you see? The pain is in your mind, no, nothing stops me Everyone is looking at me I just want to know we're down by three Look inside yourself, I know what I see Do you have the guts to 